0: So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello, and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today, we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Andrea Johnson. Good, good morning to you, I think. Yes, afternoon here, morning for
1: you. Yes, it is actually morning here. Good morning, Pete.
0: Listen, <laughs> <laughs> lovely to have you on the show. Um, loving the smile. We've had a great chat before we've even started, which you know is great. That's what it's all about. Uh, but would you like to introduce yourself and tell us who are you, what do you do, and where you're from?
1: Sure, my name is Andrea Johnson. I am uh, the intentional optimist, and that I can tell you the story of that as we go along. But and it's a, it's a good story. Um, but I am a speaker, trainer, and coach. I work with everything from nonprofits uh, to uh, entrepreneurs, women, especially helping them figure out what they want to be doing and how they can achieve their goals. But I am in Virginia. I did not grow up here, but this is where we have made our home for the last, gosh, I guess, 12 years almost uh, in the Charlottesville area. So we are just South of DC, just West of Richmond. And uh, so, and right now um, this week is my very first week as a full-time self-employed entrepreneur.
0: Ooh, congratulations. Let's crack the bubbles out in the champagne and
1: that's <laughs> a
0: <power. laughs> I I, I, I am assuming this is a good thing, right?
1: It is a good thing. Um, well, I will say, you know, every transition and every major life change is, can be traumatic. I mean, with a small T, right. It doesn't have to be a big, big trauma. Um, and it, I didn't, I didn't set out to do it exactly the way I did it, but you know, I, f- I figure God has a plan and everything happens for a reason and it was the right time. Here I am. Let's go.
0: Well, Okay. Love it. Love it. <laughs> and are you doing what do you want to be
1: doing? I am. I am doing exactly what I want to be doing. Um, I started about three or four years ago. Uh, well, actually 20 some odd years ago, I was the first time I made any kind of foray into some kind of entrepreneurial adventure, let's put it that way. (laughs) And, you know, people who try out entrepreneurial uh, work start with maybe product type stuff, which is what I did. I started with multi-level marketing. I started with Amway, then Mary Kay and um, discovered two things about myself. Number one, I'm really not a team player, which uh, was then confirmed for me later when I'm also a disc consultant, which is disc behavioral analysis confirmed for me. I can talk about that later. Um, so I'm, I'm, kind of not a team person, but I also am not a product entrepreneur. I'm a service entrepreneur. And I think that there's a big difference there. I think that you can be both. Some people can be both, but I'm not, especially when it's not my product. <laughs> can you so, that for um, me? Cause
0: I've never really heard that before product <laughs> entrepreneur or service entrepreneur.
1: So in my mm. mind, the way I see it, mm. um, For me to sell someone else's product means I have to believe in it. So maybe it's just my own personality, but I've noticed this with other people as well. Um, If I don't believe a hundred percent in a product, I can't sell it. Right. So, Mm -hmm. because I'm not a salesperson, I am a mentor and a testimonialist and that kind of thing. Um, So for me, every time Amway would change a product, I couldn't, I just, I didn't like it. I couldn't sell it anymore. And I also couldn't push the whole line. Right. I yeah. couldn't sell the whole line. And, um, if I didn't like, like with Mary Kay with cosmetics and skincare, I mean, Mary Kay is a fabulous brand. Don't get me wrong, but when they change things, I, it didn't work for me anymore. I'm like, I can't do this. Plus I just didn't like doing the customer service <laughs> for products.
0: Um, can be a pain in the ass, right?
1: <laughs> You know, and um, so what I then what I did was I liked getting it at my wholesale price. Mm. So I said, I'm not going to I just charge them like the fee over the wholesale price, but I'm not giving you any customer service. (laughs) And the people who just really wanted the product were good with that. You know, I did that for several years. But I realized that what I really wanted to do was help people. And I think if I had um, been in a a multi-level marketing that was a little more focused on that, uh, which I'm not saying Mary Kay and Amway aren't, um, they weren't back in the 90s, right? Back in the 90s, I felt like, and I'm kind of dating myself, but um, back then they felt very sales heavy, very um, build your network. It wasn't, how can I help you grow? And so I just kept, trying different things and looking at different options and ended up in a nearly 30 year career in academics, um, by accident, (laughs) um, didn't want to be an administrative assistant, didn't want to move into research administration or operations. I didn't, I just, Needed to, I needed to do a job and there were strengths that I had that worked well for that. So um, what I realized several years ago was that I really like working with people and I really like helping people. And I looked at my husband about five or six years ago and I said, I, I just want to help people. Isn't there a job where I can just help people? <laughs> and um, what I discovered was through learning how to supervise and manage I don't really like to supervise or manage. What I like to do is coach and encourage and mentor. And when you know that, then you have a direction to go. So I like to call myself a late bloomer, um, but I think overall we bloom when we're supposed to. And I have... 30 years worth of skills and strengths that I've built that I like, and some I don't, and some that I will use that I didn't expect to use. And, um, so for me to be a product entrepreneur, going back to that would be, I'm based on, or trying to focus on a specific product line. And I, even if it was mine, maybe if it was mine, I could do that, but products aren't good for everybody and helping people is good for everybody. And, mm. When I talk about being a service-based entrepreneur, I offer my services. So it's a little bit more personal. It's a little bit more, um, I don't know. For me, it's a lot more intentional. And that's part of where my, my title comes from or my business name comes from. But I, I don't know if I broke that down very well. I feel like I was talking a little bit in circles. Did that make sense?
0: No, it did. But I was, I thought, I'm i sitting here trying to split the gap between... um. Customer service and helping people, but it seems to be that it's related to a product. There's like a third party, so there's you, customer, yeah. and product. And right. when that triangle doesn't seem to work, if especially if you're not feeling the love for the product, or right. not there's anything wrong with the product per se, but um, that three way relationship just doesn't seem to work. Is, it, is that is that a fair summary?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of three way relationships that don't work, and I think that's a really good way to describe it. <laughs>
0: There's a rabbit hole. It's we almost, of, yeah. There, there,
1: there were many days where I felt like the product was this unwelcome guest in the room. And, um, you know, I, I just, it just wasn't for me and, and that's okay. I just needed to find what was, so I've wanted to be my own boss for half, more than half my life. And, um, now I finally am.
2: Oh, well, before we really get into it, tell me what, well, what does fire in the belly mean to you?
1: Well, I think that there's no way you can get away from saying it's some kind of burning desire. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, are you talking about my own fire in the belly or just in general?
0: Yeah, sure. What it means for you, yours, (laughs) you know, because that's the other thing is, I mean, do you have it? Do you think?
1: I think I do. And I think it started with me. um, Mm -hmm. And it's then... The, the journey that I've taken that I would like to take other people on um, or that I'm currently on and would like to take other people on <clears throat> where my fire in the belly would be to not be trapped in or captive to other people's narratives or other institutions' narratives of what my life is supposed to be and kind of the freedom from that. And um, I been trying to do that since I was a kid. I was always kind of the black sheep, never in a bad way. I was the good girl, <laughs> but I was the black sheep in that I just didn't fit in, or my personality was just different. Out of four people in my family, I am the oddball. I still am. And at my age, you'd think I'd come to grips with that, but I hadn't always. And so it, it's been some hard roads. I've walked a lot of um, trails that, had nothing to do with who I was or needed to be. They were what I was supposed to do. They were Mm. set out for me as this is a good path for you, or this is the practical way to do it. Or this is what good Christian girls do, or this is what smart women do. And this is what strong. It's like, how about what I do? And just laying aside all of the narratives and it's surprising how many there are. um, It just, to become authentically myself to be, and that just, I feel like those are just terms that people use all the time, but hmm. to just, I mean, I have on my phone, um, it says free to be me. I don't know if you can see it, but it says free to be me. And it's based on Ephesians two ten, where Paul's talking. St. Paul is talking to the Ephesian church and he's kind of explaining to them that they are in Christ Jesus as Christians created for good works created to do specific, special things. And it's okay to be different. It's okay to have specific, special things that I'm created to do because that's what he created me for. And so my desire is to help other people, organizations, figure those things out and do that for themselves.
0: Mm. What sort of comes across there, you know, is is that almost like a pleaser gene to try and fit in you know you mm-hmm. we become very compliant we become very agreeable right. and and seeking sort of pleasure or seeking uh, yeah seeking, seeking knowledge and elsewhere to try and feel like there's something right inside does that does that make sense
1: yeah i mean when for me i don't even know that it was i guess it's a people pleasing thing but um i so if i mentioned earlier that i'm a disc consultant and Uh, if you're not familiar with DISC, it's the four quadrants. And um, uh, there's 70% of the people, are what we call steady. Um, The rest of us (laughs) fall into the dominant or the influencing or the compliant, which is the creative group. Um, And when you look at mine on the quadrants, I have zero S. (laughs) So I'm literally the definition of a non-team player. Um, And so I'm a very high I and each type, each quadrant is kind of motivated by a a fear. And my greatest, as an I, the greatest fear that an I has is rejection. My next highest letter is a C, the compliant or creative. And they're the ones who are like the detail people and they get it right. Um, That's always right. So their greatest fear is getting it wrong. So as a high I, C and D, my fear of rejection (laughs) and getting it wrong was and then the the D is the fear of the D is um, being undermined or being taken advantage of. So those, I, I hate to say that we're motivated by fears, but many of us are. And I think underlying a lot of what we do are specific types of fears. But in general, a lot of times our behaviors are kind of, we focus in on behaviors that eliminate those fears for us. And so for me to look back over my life and say, yeah, I did those things because number one, I didn't want to be rejected because I really felt like I was the odd bird or I, the black sheep. I have black sheep things all over my house. Um, and I also want to get it right. You know, I'm a pastor's kid, a missionary kid. I met my husband in seminary. I'm a pastor's wife. Um, I'm a Bible teacher and it's a, And I come from an evangelical background. And so it's very important to get things right. And because this is, they have, most things have eternal significance in my world. And so I wanna make sure I get it right. So I think walking those paths that I did instead of walking what I was supposed to do. Were ways of mitigating the fear of being rejected for being different, and mitigating the fear of getting it wrong, um, because I want to make sure that I get it right. You know, so I think that yes, it's a people pleasing thing, but they were they were bigger than that for me.
2: Do you know yourself?
1: Do I know myself?
2: Hmm.
1: I think I'm getting to know her.
0: <laughs> Interesting, a third a third party comes comes into play. <laughs> She's
1: her. She's welcome.
0: <laughs> we all sit together.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Me, myself, and I, and her. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's always interesting, isn't it? Have you ever been where you are today? Have you ever been that before in your life? Does that make sense? Have you ever been allowed to be this version of you or has it yep. always been something else?
1: It has always been something else.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, <clears throat> I have been through um, I've suffered from mental illness bulimia and depression um, as an example for trying to control certain things mm. um, and and these are not like secrets right these are not mm. I don't mean to be um, evasive they're things like I was constantly I was overweight from a very young age um, I was loud and boisterous and you know and I I'm from a Southern Baptist background my husband's a Southern Baptist pastor um, so it's Southern women are demure and quiet. And, and, um, so for, for me, I was opinionated and loud and my disc type is called the leader, right? So so for me to follow is a little challenging and, um, I need to really trust who I'm following. I need to really know. So, um, all of those types of things that I was different in, um, just, I never felt comfortable being those things. So I was always trying to mitigate them. And um it just it takes a toll.
2: Those things. And again, I've obviously not because each
0: one is a huge topic in, in itself, but do you think for you were they symptoms rather than causes? Does that make sense?
1: Ask it another way.
0: So for me, because I've had depression twice in my life and it's only lately, I suppose, really, I recognize it, that actually it was, um, you know, it was a symptom of what was going on. So you don't catch depression yes. oh, um, no, no. Yeah. and it's not the root cause. Actually, the root cause right. is way back there, um, yes. but it manifests in this form. You Absolutely. Know, so uh, d- does that make sense then? So all these things. Yes, that are and I
1: 100% agree. I would say, well, I've been through, um, I've had clinical depression on seven years of antidepressants. Um, like I said, I had bulimia uh, probably from. Oh, I used to could tell you exactly the year, um, probably from when I was eight or nine years old, I started sneaking food. It was a control way. It was something to control my environment. Um, you know, I said I was a missionary kid um, going all the way back to we moved to Seoul, South Korea when I was seven. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain amount of control that you lose when that happens, right? Um, and I I can remember thinking as a child, why us? Why not somebody else? Why does it have to be us that moves? And, um, you know, as a parent now, I say, and I understand, but I was, you know, my parents never wanted anything bad for me. Um and, but going all the way back to those things, the um, the moving overseas, that was huge, uh, no longer having American, I mean, 1974 in Seoul, South Korea, it was still almost a third world country. Um, they were up and coming, but within the next 10 years by the 84 Olympics and or 88 Olymp, 12 years, I guess, by the time I graduated from high school in 84, um, it, it was a very different place. But even my own parents, being raised in Southeast Texas with specific mindsets and being Southern Baptist with specific mindsets and being a missionary with specific mindsets, all of those things, um, were like little boxes, you know, and to, to, and I felt very compelled to stay within those boxes. Um, fortunately I was also raised in a missionary community. So it was ecumenical and I saw things, but the problem with seeing things and being told things is that there's this dissonance constantly. And I didn't know how to deal with that. And so I dealt with it by controlling the food that went in my mouth. I would sneak food. I have amazing stories. (laughs) I was sneaking food as a child. By the time I went to college, um, it really exploded because I just was not prepared to be on my own in Houston, Texas and um when i was i literally turned 21 in the hospital in a 12 week program for bulimia and depression um so you know yes all of those things are symptoms um even bad attitudes i think are symptoms of us trying to deal with things that just don't quite click or that we're not willing to deal with and um so yeah i agree all of that is symptomatic <clears throat>
2: Yeah, super. It
0: is super, super interesting. You know, that's change slash control slash, as you say, you know, it's a, yeah. trauma is a heavy word, but it's, you know, many traumas, many, you know, is humans, we generally, we think we like change, but I'm not sure that we do, right?
1: It, change is always hard, no matter what, even if it's a good change. Hmm. Um, this summer, like I shared at the very beginning, uh, this is my first week as a full-time self-employed entrepreneur. My entire family has been sick and I am currently sick. <laughs> and I think part of that is a culmination of the last nine weeks. It's been a hard summer. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. It it didn't, um, the way I became full-time self-employed, I wasn't quite ready. I had benchmarks I wanted to meet. I had financial benchmarks and those kinds of things I wanted to meet first. But other things happened in my job and in my life where I said, I know I can't wait. And um, I am fortunate that I have an extremely supportive and loving husband and son. And we crunched the numbers and he said, let's do this. But then leaving a, a job that I'd been specifically at that job for six years and then at that university for 10 and a half. And prior to that, so I was at university of Virginia. And prior to that, I was at Johns Hopkins university. I mean, these are not in the United States. These are not insignificant institutions. And, um, I have a good career to fall to, look at. Um, and so losing that identity, all those things are, are change. And so I consider myself to be in the middle of a big transition. I'm constantly like, working on giving myself grace. Um, I have coaches that I'm talking to that are helping me with that, but it's, it's not easy. No change is easy. In the middle of this summer, we also, or at the beginning of the summer, we went on our, fr- because of COVID right. <clears throat> and we went to Hawaii, which was amazing. <laughs> um, but getting there, i had forgotten how hard it was and I'm not eight anymore. And, um, So, you know, at nearly 55, getting to Hawaii is an ordeal from the East Coast (laughs) and seeing it through adult eyes is different. So there was, I loved your reference to trauma. I'm starting to understand that a lot of the things that I've gone through in my life are considered trauma by trauma experts. None of them are big trauma. Most of them are small to like, there's a few medium ones in there, but In order to be able to deal with some of that, you have to recognize it and say, I I actually have, have some fallout from some of these things and just going to Hawaii and seeing it for it differently through completely different adult eyes. Um, And then in the middle of my vacation, I got some news about my job and then I came home and then I decided to quit my job. And two weeks later, um, this, I knew was happening, but my dad got married and I mean, (laughs) So, um, my identity is shifting, um, in every way. So when that happens, we, we have to be able to take stock and say, all right, (laughs) I'm stepping into this new identity and pushing through that is always hard. And Mm -hmm. even just getting in there yesterday, I'm not going to lie. I, 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 one of my former employees called me to say, how's your first week going? And I just started crying. (laughs) I think what I really want is to be able to just do my fun creative stuff and have a paycheck again. And she's like, no, you don't. (laughs) So, being able to talk about those things and being able, pardon me, to have people that will help you recognize those things and just be willing to just push through the feelings. Cause, like I wrote in my journal, got these feelings and I just need to walk through them um, because they're not easy. And if, if we don't, though, Pete, that's when we have symptoms, right? That's when we end up with depression or bulimia or, um in, you know, I have a friend who had diverticulitis and didn't even know it and was like rushed to the hospital um, or uh, heart problems. That's when we, or stroke, that's when we push through those things and we don't allow ourselves to take the time to transition and understand our feelings. Then we have the problems. Um, mm-hmm. I had a counselor once who was, he was great. And he said, he described it as a screen door. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but feelings are, they just blow through. Sometimes they go really hard and sometimes they're just a breeze. And if you have a good screen on there, they can always blow. But if you close that off and don't allow them to blow, eventually the door is going to come off the hinges and then you're going to have problems. So ever since then, I'm like, okay, screen door. <laughs> I just need to let things blow through. So um, yeah symptoms are something to pay attention to it's like a barometer
0: Mm. no it surely is it's i mean that expression your life's happening for you not to you comes to mind there you know as you speak it's that evolution it's like yeah okay (laughs) i might need might need to get the seatbelt on but um yeah this is this is going to be interesting right you know yes uh, uh, generally are you pain driven pleasure driven where do you sit because i mean i'm getting a bit of both there it's like planned it all out. It all kind of went wrong. Pain comes in <laughs> and you go, you jump into action, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm kind of curious to know where you think you sit.
1: Oh, I'm a mystery. Um, I don't like pain. Um, if you want to talk any I believe I'm a, I'm a, I believe I'm a seven, um, mm. which means that I avoid it. I like to call myself Tigger. It's like, what's fun. <laughs> However, um, I, I'm willing to sit and, analyze it and figure it out. Um I think I always feel guilty with pleasure so maybe I'm pain driven. Um it's the first time somebody's ever really asked me that question. So when I think about being pleasure driven uh honestly that, that that's the first answer that comes to mind is I feel guilty with that mm. so um I must be pain driven. Mm. <laughs> that's terrible. I don't want to be pain driven.
0: <laughs> I t- I honestly think it's like 80/20. And I think most, a lot of people go, no, no, I'm pleasure driven. That's like, let's look at the facts here. I generally, I don't yeah. know. I think it, it it depends where you get to in your life. And obviously with business and all the rest, it's like you want something done, ask the busy person, You ask the, ask the person who's stressed, but they get stuff done and they ultimately achieve. So I don't know. It's, it's always a, it's always an interesting thing. Um, what, well, that describes your...
1: me for sure. Yeah. Mm.
0: Always. Yeah. No, keep them going. What's your superpower do you think?
1: Um, connecting with people. I, I, I can relate to people. I can mm-hmm. connect with people. I've been shocked to find out that I've connected with someone through a job interview that they didn't get. <laughs> um, and understanding that about myself helps me in everything I do. Um, it's a, a more recent understanding, right? I think sometimes... As we, um, mature, we understand our strengths better, um, as we learn about ourselves. And, um, so for me, I think that that's, that's the biggest superpower I think is just relating to people.
0: When you say connecting, what do you mean by that? What's your definition of connecting this sort of curiosity?
1: Um, having some kind of a meaningful understanding of who they are and, uh, a welcoming of that um, and a sharing of who I am. So I think it's a two-way street connection. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you plug something into an outlet, it it flows both ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, it doesn't just light up the light bulb. It, it, it goes both ways. And I think that when you connect with others, it, it is a two-way street. So there's a giving of myself Mm -hmm. that happens there and a receiving of them. Um, one of the things I, really want people to feel when they are with me is welcome. And, um, I will many times like open my arms open, just like open them wide to just remind myself to just be open. Um, because I find that that is probably one of the things people, most people need is some kind of a welcoming openness. And, um, it it doesn't matter if we agree. It doesn't matter if we're on the same page. Um, you are a precious person created specifically to do the things that you're doing. And, um, I want to recognize that and connect somehow, even if we connect and say, thanks. It's been nice. Peace out. (laughs) Um, and even if I'm not the person for you, that's fine. I just, it is important to me that People are recognized for who they are. And that's goes right back to my fire, my belly, to say, I want to be recognized for who I am. And even just leaving a job, right? Even just becoming self-employed is being recognized for who I am.
2: Mm. How's your intuition? I'm sorry. How is your intuition? Do you there's a little you...
1: bit of a lag in the no worries? How is my intuition? Mm. Um I find myself to have pretty good intuition. And, um, sometimes I'll use the word discernment. Um, however, I am super trusting and that just goes along with the welcoming aspect. I do allow myself to get hurt. Um, I give people a bunch of chances, but there are times when I will be able to say, this is a bad situation. We should not go. We should not stay <laughs> or we should go, or this person is not someone you want to be close to. And then the boundaries will go up. Um, I don't ever want to reject them as, as a person. Um, but I, I do, I'm, I'm learning a lot about boundaries and some of them are internal. Some of them are external. <laughs> and I think it's really smart to have both. Mm
0: no it's always because i just was curious about you know your your you know the power of your connecting and things like that and uh, i sort of sometimes find that this goes hand in hand you know people will get a sense of somebody you know both what they're saying and what they're not saying and some people will see an energy some people will see all sorts you know we're all different creatures and um i just find it fascinating the way people connect you know there's people who can say nothing and yet they're going that's, that's an amazing person, right? You know, like just because their energy that they, they give off. Uh, does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah. And you know, I don't consider myself an empath or anything. Um, but I have had three people in the last month tell me that I am empathic, like, and I don't, you know, whatever that means to you. Mm. Um, I had one person, uh, say, look, I've watched you and, um, I've watched you enter a room and you read it and you know what's going on and you behave accordingly. And I'm like, really? (laughs) And it just, it never occurred to me that that's what I do. And I, so that's clearly something that's innate now, whether or not everybody sees that in me, I don't know. But, um, so I think that we all have that on a certain level. I mean, most of us are not completely socially unaware. Most of us are not completely unaware of the energy we're receiving from another person. There is all kinds of data and studies that show that we do understand other people's energy. And, you know, we talk about marketing and sales. It's like people get when you're desperate. Um, We love Cesar Milan, and uh, I love his, he's the dog whisperer guy and he's got a new show out on, I guess National Geographic, and he's talking about being a better human for better dogs, but he keeps saying, "Look, when you touch that leash, the energy from your hand goes straight to that dog. And I'm like, that is exactly what happens with all of us. Um, when we give off a certain amount of energy, um, whether or not I quantify that somehow or not, people just can feel. I don't I don't know. We're not dumb. <sighs> <laughs> people were all smarter and more intuitive than we realize. Um, we just may not have been taught to recognize it.
0: It's people I've heard it, someone saying, you know, it's, 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 like, we're all huge tuning forks, you know, as we connect, yeah. it's, it's almost like we, we sort of pick up on the vibrations
2: and frequencies around us, you know, it's yeah. Did you find in general, do people get you?
1: Most of my life? No. Um, most of my life, um, because I am like, I even just said, I'm a mystery. Um, I don't mean to be a mystery. I come off as very, um, or I come across as very extroverted, but the reality is I'm kind of right on that border and I'm very introspective. Um, so for my extroverted, highly extroverted mother, it was, why are you sitting around doing all this introspection? And for my introverted father, he's like, what the heck? You know, so it's like, um, So no, I don't think people have ever, my husband gets me, um, but the older I get and the more I just welcome myself and be myself, the more people get me. And um, I I think as I grow and mature, I think more people are getting me than I realize and will say to me things like, I have a membership community um, for female entrepreneurs and I have couple of them say, I would, I would follow you anywhere. I'm like, but why? (laughs) So I think sometimes people get us um, more than we get ourselves. And I just find that as a challenge and an encouragement to continue to grow, to get to know myself. Um, So in the past, maybe, no, I don't think so. And, um, but as I get to know myself, other people are going to get to know me and the ones who get me will be my people. Right.
0: Mm, Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, And that's, I think to me, that's a very wise answer. It's like, I am who I am and love me or don't love me. That's okay too. You know, it's, uh, you can only control what's inside, but how are
2: you with liking yourself and loving yourself?
1: Oh, you know, the answer, supposedly the answer is, oh, I love myself and I accept myself. <laughs> I cannot lie. I'm just a terrible liar. Um, when it comes to truly loving myself, I'm re- I'm still learning, um, because I'm still letting go of a lot of those narratives that I'm supposed to be a certain way. And when I don't measure up to those, um, then I've obviously fallen short and I just, it doesn't mean, well, so I guess the most honest answer is I'm just, I'm continuing to learn to love myself. And, mm. um, I think if we're all honest, that's really the answer we should be getting. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's a journey. Um, especially for somebody like me, who's walked the roads of living in a box for a long time. Um, and being able to break out of that. When you come out into the full sunshine, sometimes it's like, who are you? Um, and it's scary. And, um, What's interesting is that most people will probably not see me as a really different person than they saw me before. Um, it's just me seeing me as a different person and mm. being willing to just live it out. So, there's
0: a lot of source work there, isn't there? Really, I mean it's it's as you say yeah. that introspection, <clears throat> you know, potentially, and it's <clears throat> probably unlikely, but the 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 outgoing part is similar but actually the, the tone, the context, the, the energy, the, you know, everything will change, you know, um, as you do that, but it's, uh, I mean, how, how, aware are you of yourself? Does that, does that make sense?
1: I'm getting better at it. Um, as you know, Tigger, <laughs> I'm not always aware. Um, I have been kicked under the table a couple of times, um, just a few. And I have been told you, you don't get it. And, uh, you know, because I, I do like to see the happy sunny side. And um, so, but I'm getting better and better at that. Um, More aware of what thoughts are popping into my head. The more, like you say, source work the more thought work I do, the more, um, I examine my feelings in light of, okay, so what thought is creating that feeling? Um, I'm a coach, right? So the first person I coach is myself. And the more I do that, the more aware I become. Um, and quite frankly, when I don't feel well, the more I look at that, the better aware I become of, or yeah, the better aware of myself I become. I think that's what I was trying to say.
0: Mm, That makes a lot of sense. And and for you, I mean, Take us back a bit. What was, what was, you know, Mini Andrea, like, you know, what, what sort of a child were you?
1: Um, I was what sort of child I was loud. I was, and see, I'm still trying to overcome those words as like bad words. Um, I was fun. I was happy. I was gregarious. Um, when i when i learned the in spelling when i learned the word gesticulate i figured out oh that means i talk with my hands and gregarious meant i was just fun and i enjoy being with people and um uh i was a cheerleader um i was a volleyball player and i'm creative i did some writing i eh, dabbled in a little painting but not so much did a little you know every year i redecorated my room um, but I was, I was pretty insecure and, mm. um, I did, I did take things personally. I was chubby from like, well, I was, when I was born, <laughs> I was late and I was only five pounds, three ounces. And I like to joke that I would, I immediately started catching up and just didn't quit until I had gastric bypass surgery 16 years ago. Um, but so I was a chubby kid and, um, I was insecure about that, uh, growing up overseas, in Korea means you're in a culture of people who eat like one of the most healthy diets in the world. And they're small people. And, um, even in an expatriate community, I just was always, I was always the chubby kid. And so that aspect was always difficult. Um, I never felt truly, I don't, I don't know that people didn't accept me. I just, I just didn't accept Mm. myself. Right. And, um, The narrative I got at home was thin is good, fat is bad. And so there was constant work in that area. Um, I recall being on Weight Watchers starting in about fifth grade, maybe sixth grade. um, And being handed my my lunch going to to school was uh, a half a tuna fish and mustard sandwich, um, a boiled egg and a tab, uh, maybe some celery sticks. So of course I managed to find money around the house and buy ramen noodles and, you know, <laughs> and in Korea it's ramen and it's like way better than the stuff you get in the States. So I don't know about what you get over there in Ireland, but, um, so i found ways around that mm. to control. Um, I felt like I was being controlled. So I found ways to control it, And but genetically my family, both sides, genetically, we just, we're hoarders in the weight department. (laughs) And um, so it was, it was a natural proclivity for me. And I think starting early on. So, um, but I was also, I was a good student. Um, I made good grades without really trying. Um, I enjoyed excelling. I enjoyed achieving. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I I had a lot of fun I, and I have some, I, I will say this. Um, one of the things that I am kind of growing back into is my past. Um, and it's my history as a missionary kid um, mm. is as part of wanting to fit in as an adult. When I, you know, left college. I mean, I found out when we first came home on furlough in sixth grade, when I started talking about this life of mine, where I was going to Hawaii every time I'd go there and back and I was in school with kids from 65 different countries, small Southeast Texas town. um, I overheard, well, here comes Miss Korea, this Miss Korea, that, and learned really quick to shut my mouth, learned really quick that just because my worldview was global, most of the people I was around in the United States was not, and it still isn't. um and that was uncomfortable for me so i started hiding it um i quit talking about it um i i have some korean things around my house um but not a lot and um i i just didn't i didn't talk about it and i didn't do a lot of things with my korean missionary kid friends and um so i just kind of turned my back and so in the last year or so, I've started really embracing that and realized that my drive and my desire to find community, my desire and my drive to find welcoming um, was kind of based in what I had in that missionary community um, that I didn't always recognize. And um, so for me, that's been a little bit of a cathartic process um, to go back and welcome that and, and look at the things I learned there and the things I was presented with, like I said earlier in the conversation that caused a little cognitive dissonance between what I was being taught or what I was, you know, in the house or, uh, with what I was experiencing, um, none of it's bad, none of it's big, um, just some things that didn't quite gel. And, um, so, uh, I think, Little Andrea was insecure um, and unsure, and always trying to fit in, and always trying to um, just be part of the group.
2: It it displays a very strong picture, as you
0: say. and And have, have you siblings? Have you other others in your family?
1: I do. I have a younger sister, hmm. um, and <laughs> what's funny is that we always called her my mother's junior um because her personality type was very much like my mom's um and you know as we as we grew up she kind of stayed near home i left home because i went to college in uh, 1984 my family was still in korea and so i left home at 17 and i did go back for a little while after college because i just needed to regroup but she ended up marrying her high school sweetheart just loved my mother and so it's like there was and she was a fairly compliant child. Um, I was the one who was always banging my head against the wall with my parents, and um, you know, it 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 made for when I moved home. She was still there because we're nearly five years apart. And um, she said, "You know, Andrea, if you just say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to whatever it is she says, or yes or no, sir, and just, then you can just do what you want because that's all they want to hear." <laughs> like what? <laughs> and you know, my sister not. She's also not a rebellious kid and also a good kid. Um, I just felt that to be so duplicitous, but that tells you how different our personalities are. She was very like, whatever, you know, it's like, thanks. And then she would just go do. And um, for me, it was, I felt like I was respecting them more by telling them why I disagreed. <laughs> they didn't always see it that way. Um. So yes, I do have a younger sister who married, ooh, how many years before me? A lot. Um, so five or six years before me and, um, wait, four years before me and, um, then had children before me. And, um, so the birth order kind of switched because she also stayed within five to 10 miles of my parents. Um, so I went from being the oldest rebellious ish <laughs> to, then switch to kind of like treated as the youngest, um, very different, very different roles.
0: And funny, isn't it, that, you know, the roles that people do sort of assume or fall into or whatever, you know, it's, it's going through, uh, tell me what, what triggered you to decide to change, you know, cause you talked about, you know, in terms of even that journey to decide to almost intentionally set out to love yourself and to. To really be something different. I mean, what was there a turning point? Was there a, a you know an episode
2: where you said enough?
1: Yes, um, but I need to take a break.
2: Yeah, so I mean, really, the, the turning point for you when actually you were you know
0: deciding or, or I mean, was it a conscious change and said, "Listen, enough's enough," or I deserve more, or scratching your head, going to something different. Do you do you remember that?
1: So the very first one was when I was like I shared before, I turned twenty one in the hospital for bulimia and depression. Um, so the very first one was three quarters of my way through college. Um, I was spending in my college a little apartment um, days on end in the dark, um, binging on Texans will understand this bluebell ice cream <laughs> um, and not going to class, um, just in a severe depression. Um, I decided to take control at that. So I don't know what it was at that moment, but something just told me I need help. And, um, I, I, th- I think more of it was, I just, I guess I, the exact moment for that very first pivot was I was a pre-nursing major, um, this is yet again, something I was doing that was very practical, right? And I had to tell you, my dad was like prescient in this area. He said, nurses will always have a job. He said that the job security for nurses is amazing. Um, And this was in like 1980, he said this. (laughs) So here we are 2021 and uh, he's still right. And having just left the university of Virginia health system, I know it's hard to find good nurses. Um, And so I I was good at science. And so I I was doing this, but in at Houston Baptist University, um, where you do all of your pre-work and then you take like an intro to nursing class, and then you do almost all of your nursing work down at the Houston medical center. I I had a full ride scholarship. I was in good shape. Um, and the very first, so with this intro to nursing class, you you have to have your like stethoscope and your shoes and your hat and your, you know, little nursing uniform, Um, and it's one of those classes where (laughs) you're not allowed to miss any. So you miss one, you got to repeat the class. And the class was with the Dean of the school of nursing. Um, pretty serious stuff. And I guess part of that is just because, you know, nurses can't not show up. (laughs) So, um, I managed to wake up the morning I was supposed to go and was in, I look at it now and I see it as a full on panic attack. I was throwing up um, and just couldn't deal with it and um, got her on the phone. And I said, I'm sick. I'm I'm hanging. I'm in my bed in the dark, hanging over a bucket. And um, she was like, basically, I I understand. And I can appreciate that. But you're going to have to take this class next semester unless you can get in here today. And it was in that moment that I thought I, this is not for me. Um, And so being able to say, well, then what, right? If I'm not going to be a nurse, if I'm not going to do nursing major, then what? Um, And it, I I would always take, I was taking voice lessons. Um, I have sung pretty much all my life and um, I knew that I needed help. And I don't remember where it came from, but an ad for this, inpatient program kind of got my attention. And I went for an interview and, um, they said, yeah, we've, we've got, I think this could really help you. And, um, I had not had any counseling at that point. I had not had any, um, I not really had any help. Um, and so I was 20 years old and I announced to my family that I am not going back to school. (laughs) which went over real well. And I am going to uh, use the insurance that you have. And I'm going into this 12 week uh, inpatient program for bulimia and depression. (laughs) And um, which included family counseling. um, And fortunately they had one where my parents were on their way back for furlough. um, And it it was there that I first, I'd I'd never even had group therapy. I'd never had... um, I'd never listened to like ocean waves as a way to like slow myself down. I'd never practiced any kind of mindful eating. I had never done anything like that. So that was kind of the starting point, but I am here to say that there is never one point ever (laughs) because we use this word, we evolve. Um, And I could say I've had probably three or four of them. Um, And that was my first one. And that was pretty profound. It was a traumatic experience for me and my family. Um, The things that I learned there, the tools that are now in my tool belt are invaluable to me. Um, I use them today. And um, so that was, that was the very first beginning of it.
0: Talk to us about your tool belt. I mean, and how you have evolved and and just, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're another chapter in your journey here and a beautiful chapter where you're, you know, as you say, entrepreneurial and it's going all out there and talk to us about where you are and what your intentions are now.
1: Um, when I use the word tool belt, um, I, I actually really like it because it's a visual for me. And I find that most of us use, um, some kind of a visual or analogy really helps us to do things. Um, so I do that a lot. I call myself the analogy queen and I just, I can pull an analogy out of just about anything. And um, part of that is again, going back to my connection desire is to connect with people even through just communication, but having good self-awareness practices, good self-diagnostic practices, um, maybe some cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy practices that, um, that help you to, or even just anxiety anti-anxiety practices. Those are all things that we could put in our psychological tool belt. And to have that with you at all times means that, um, when you're in the middle of an anxiety attack and you don't realize it because you've actually done a lot of things in your life to help you mitigate those things, but you're sitting at a stoplight and you start to see blue stars, (laughs) you realize, Oh dear, I am holding my breath. (laughs) So what is it that I need? I need to turn off that, open the windows and like process or like put the car in park so that at the very least they'll honk at me instead of like me drifting out if I pass out, drifting out into traffic. But having those kinds of tools to be able to say, um, something's not right. This is a canary. This is a, in the coal mine, this is, this is, um, the tools that will help you recognize and then tools that will help you um, recognize the problem and then tools will help you diagnose what that problem is and then tools that will help you deal with those problems. Um, Or if you don't want to call them problems, um, issues or thoughts or um, challenges or dissonance, whatever it may be, um, having things like that, understanding who I am, understanding my personality, understanding my strengths and my weaknesses Understanding um that I just love to communicate with people, understanding that I am prone to um worry about not being accepted. I am prone to worry about other people's reactions to me. Understanding all of that plays into all of those diagnosis, you know, it's like these are like little flares. <laughs> um and then having like the thought model from book being able to say, this is a thought, this is a feeling, this is an action, this is a results. And well, if the thoughts are, the thoughts regarding the circumstance are the problem, let's rethink here. Um, and being able to then not only help myself, but turn around and help others. Um, and that, I think having a tool belt means that, I mean, if you're a handyman, you gotta have a tool belt, right? You're gonna have a screwdriver in your tool belt. You're gonna have a hammer. Um, Not everything needs a hammer. Not everything needs a screwdriver. Um, So having a good variety of tools is also really helpful. Um, Breathing practices, um, grounding practices, uh, walking outside and putting my feet in the grass, um, slowing down and taking a deep breath. You know, all those things are very, very helpful. And if, if you don't have any tools, You're just going to react out of whatever your normal proclivity is.
2: And your actual, you know, so you have your podcast, um, and the intentional
0: optimist Mm -hmm. give give us an overview. What was the intention? Pardon the pun. Uh, (laughs) And why a
2: podcast?
1: Um, So what I'll do first though, is tell you about the intentional optimist LLC. That's who I am. Um, I mentioned a minute ago that I've been on several pivot points. Um, and I think that as we grow, we will, we'll be going along a road and we'll find that we're always going to hit a fork in the road somewhere. And that's when we have the opportunity to decide one way or the other. Um, and as I matured and grew and got to know myself better, um, I had quite a few of those. The most recent was um, obviously leaving my job, but the, really the, the biggest pivot was um, in February of 2017, we lost my mother to a battle with breast cancer. Um, it was expected. She'd been fighting for 10 years. She had lupus before that. But if you've lost a loved one to cancer yeah. um, or to any, if you've lost a loved one at all, no matter how prepared, air quotes, you are, you're never prepared. There's always grief. Um, but for me, um, the relationship with her, um, as the one who sent me to school, <laughs> as the one who sent me to school with a tab and a boiled egg. And um, tuna fish mustard sandwich, which whenever I share that, people are like, gross. And I'm like, don't knock it till you try it. It's not horrible. Um, as the one who tried to make me into what she considered to be a acceptable, beautiful woman, um,
2: part of going through that
1: inpatient program It was very difficult for her. Um, She was taught, you don't air your dirty laundry. (laughs) You don't tell your problems. You don't share the things that are not pretty. And um, in our first group counseling session, our group therapy session, uh, I actually said, you don't really know me. What, of course I know you, I've known you for 17 years. I gave birth to you. You know, it's like every mother says that kind of thing, except for people like me who are adoptive mothers, but, um, for her to, uh, accept that was really difficult. And she actually got up and left. Uh, it was extremely traumatic. Um, and it was a catalyst for us changing our relationship and, which included things like later on down the road. Um, when I was actually living at home after college, at one point, I took everything in my closet and dumped it on her bed. And I said, these are you, these are the clothes you would wear. They are not the clothes I would wear. And oh, she was so offended. <laughs> and I look back now and I'm like, she paid for all those clothes. Right. Um, and, but that was the kind of relationship we had. And as we grew and she could see the woman I was becoming, um, we had a lot of really, really intensely honest conversations. Um, And toward the end, she just really wanted to make sure that she had told me how clearly and deeply proud she was of the woman I was becoming. And like the Sunday afternoon before she died on a Thursday, um, because we don't, they were in Richmond and we're in Charlottesville. So it's not that far. And we got to where we would, as she got closer to the end, we would go over there. Um, and on that last Sunday, she sat knee to knee with me. And she said, Have I told you enough how sorry I am for all those things I did to you? <laughs> and I said, You wanted what was best for me, right? And we we need to understand that even people who seem to try to keep us from being ourselves, who seem to try to keep us from accomplishing our dreams, who, as um, I think it's Tanisha Jackson Warner calls it, uh, these are dream bullies. They don't, in in the book called The Big Stretch, it's a great book. um, These are not people who are like middle school bullies. These are people who love us and want to protect us. And for her to sit there and say, have I told you, you know, you're my firstborn." you'll always be my firstborn. You are, you are unique to me in that way. And I want to make sure Andrea, that I have told you everything that I am proud of the woman that you've become the mother that you've become the professional that you've become. And, um, I said, yeah, I think we're good. And so when she died, like less than a week later, it was kind of the beginning for me of what I would just call a crucible situation um, where I shared earlier, sometimes I'm not afraid to go introspective. I am not afraid to go inside and look. And I just spent some, about a year um, really looking at who am I, right? Because her phrase to me was always fly, be free. (laughs) And we joked about, um, you know, the whole... It's hard to soar with the eagles when you're in the pen with the turkeys, and you know that kind of stuff. but um, I feel like that disparages other people, but <laughs> um the other um analogy that is really important to me is the butterfly, you know, becoming the butterfly out of the cocoon. um, and you know, for her, it was too, and she's like, it the cocoon is open. fly, be free, be yourself for the woman that I had been trying all my life to prove to that I was worthy and that I was good on my own to have her say that was the permission I needed to just sit for a year and go inside and really look at who I was as a person. And in 2017, if you know anything, pardon me, I may have to blow my nose. Um, (laughs) If you know anything about Charlottesville, Virginia, 2017 was a cathartic year in this town um, for race relations. Um, And in the middle of my own crucible moment, all of these things started happening. And um, it gave me the opportunity to um, really kind of map out what's important to me. What do I want to share with other people? How do I want to help other women accomplish this level of self acceptance and freedom um, that to the outside world doesn't look all that much different than what I had before. But internally, I know, I, well, I'd love to say I no longer have conflict, but internally, I have less conflict. And how can I then share that with other people, especially women? Because I come from the United States evangelical, Southern, patriarchal, white, Community. Let me put it that way. Um, And so I just started mapping. I just started writing out, you know, like word vomiting, (laughs) just putting it all down. Um, As a Christian, as a believer, since I was eight years old, I am a Bible teacher. Like I said, I went to seminary, which is where I met my husband. Um, Scripture is extremely important to me. I see it as the ultimate truth. Um, And one passage of scripture that I hadn't really paid attention to because Um, I feel like in that community, it's always presented in a way that I feel is not accurate. And that's Proverbs 31. And if you're not familiar with it, it is a passage, uh, where King Lemuel, it's not all of Solomon's Proverbs, but King Lemuel's mother is talking to him and telling him about the woman that he needs to look for in a wife. And, um, I had always just kind of seen it as, you know, she cans her own food and she homeschools and she never cuts her hair and she doesn't wear makeup and she's nice to everybody. And she's, you know, she has 50 kids, you know? Um, but when my mother retired, my dad gave her this beautiful calligraphy of, um, from a a Jewish rabbi of Proverbs 31, that passage 10 to 31. And, when he moved out part of 2017, um, one of the things he did was he kind of packed up and he moved into a really nice continuous care community. And, um, looking at that, I was like, huh, I need to go back there. And so I went back to Proverbs 31 and I started looking at this woman who turns out to be this, Badass businesswoman, and um, she is a fabulous mother. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to be a mother to be a great woman. Um, but she is a shipping magnet and a um, she's a marketer and she's a philanthropist and she provides for people and she helps people and she's smart. And I mean, she buys a field, plants a vineyard, sells the wine, and then makes money on it and then develops it. You know, um, her husband is well known because of her. And so as I started looking at everything I'd been learning on my personal growth journey and everything I could see in there, in this whole kind of crucible year, of writing all these things down, I actually ended up kind of I like patterns. (laughs) Um, So I kind of was, I just said, where do these, how do these things connect? What do all these words connect to these words and how does this all go together? And I ended up with basically six tenets or six pillars at the time I was calling them. Um, And I wasn't quite sure what to call it, but um, my mother was what we would call a true sanguine. She was champagne right she she walk into a room and it's like bubbles everybody loves judy um and um and you know so it's really hard to live up to that effervescence in a personality but there are pieces of me that are very much like her um and like i said i don't mind the introspection um but I don't want to dwell there. I don't want to dwell in the past. I don't want to, I don't want to only be in here. I want to give, I want to, I want to at least try to be that effervescent part um, because I've been given a lot. I've been given a lot of insight and wisdom and um, encouragement and um, knowledge. And so at first I just thought, well, I just want to become sanguine. nobody knows what sanguine means anymore. And, um, so as I was kind of looking at what I wanted to do, um, I said, I want to be intentionally optimistic, um, which does not by anybody's definition mean that you are a Pollyanna or, um, a sunny optimist. And I only see the good side. I don't see all the bad stuff because the reality is you can't see the good stuff without, I mean, you can't see the light without the dark and you can't see the dark without the light and it's all part and parcel together. And, um, so that's where the intentional optimist came from. Um, I then ended up getting my coaching and speaking certification through the John Maxwell team, which is an international leadership group. And as a leader, I want to help other women be leaders because I think that women are, underserved, underrepresented, under, under everything. And, um, especially from that community I came from, we are supposed to be followers and doggone it. I'm just not a good follower. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of women out there who are not necessarily cut from that cloth either. So, um, when the pandemic hits, I had already started my business. I had already, decided I wanted to be a coach and we um, went to completely remote at the university and I was out um, weeding my garden, (laughs) listening to a podcast and uh, who was speaking coach. And um, because I love to speak and I love to talk to people. Um, And so I knew that group coaching and speaking was definitely in my future and training. I love doing leadership training. Um, And so this podcaster said, so is podcasting your next stage? (laughs) And I stood up and to the world said, yes, podcasting is my next stage. And I don't know why it just resonated. You know, you talked about the tuning fork. It just resonated with my tuning fork. And, um, so I decided I was going to do that. And I found a course and a, a cohort and a group and started, and within eight weeks had a podcast launched and, what I wanted to do was make it, it's not a coaching podcast. It is a leadership. It's intentional optimists, comma, unconventional leaders. Um, And I want women to see that leadership doesn't have to look like we've been told it needs to look like it doesn't have to be, um, Male dominated, it doesn't have to be um aggressive, it doesn't have to be any of those things. And it doesn't have to be in business, it could be in nonprofit, it could be in your home. It, wherever you are, you are a leader of yourself first and others next. And if um if I can help other women understand that, great, that's the goal. So the I started out the podcast with every other one teaching the tenets of intentional optimism and then interviewing a woman who somehow lived out at least one of those. Most of these women live out all of them to a certain extent. Um, but I've interviewed some amazing women. Um, we're getting ready to head into season two, where I will probably do only one interview a month rather than every other time. It's a lot of work. And, um, and i and i'm now growing a business so i want to make sure that i keep that outward facing um i don't know free museum where people can gather information and where i can share from my own personal experience how to grow how to be a leader um but then interview other women who really exemplify leadership on maybe a completely different level from me or a completely different way than i do so that's really sorry that wasn't much of a nutshell i told you i could talk for 2 hours by myself <laughs>
0: It's all right. It's great. It's great passion. I mean, that's what it's all about. And it's, it's awesome to hear, you know, that the intention behind it, you know, that it's, it is part of you. It's part of your journey. It's part of, you know, everything that goes on. So and I think that's the most genuine too. So, you know, uh, whether it's a podcast or whatever, there's days, there's good days, there's days it's easy and then there's days it's not. And that's mm. when you see the weight from the chaff, you know, you see those that sort of, yeah, it's not a priority. It's not a, um, you know, it's, it's either ego-based or void-based, you know, and then, then suddenly it's falls by the wayside. And there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that too, because it's, it's a learning process, right? It's all, all about learning, all about right. learning, you know,
2: yeah.
0: for you, I mean, I'm I'm curious because you're still saying you're not a follower, but yet you follow the Bible, you follow, mm, Control, you follow principles, you follow structure, you follow pillars, you follow. So is it the following of others rather than following a, <laughs> following a structure? Does that make sense? I'm getting a bit of a bit of good a good
1: point. You know, you put it out there and people are always gonna poke holes in it, right? Whatever you say. Um uh let's see. Whenever I'm in a job interview. And they ask me, and I ask this people, I ask this of people I interview in, in job interviews, are you a leader or a follower? When you just naturally rise to the te- in the team, where are mm-hmm. you? Um, I have always, because I knew I was supposed to said, oh, I can do both. Um, the reality is, um, if I f- choose to follow you because of your position or your, um, charisma or whatever I'm learning from you uh, your expertise if I choose to follow you um, you start at a hundred percent and so you do things that either keep you at a hundred percent or drop you mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, th- you can only get dropped so many times and you fall below 50 and I'm done I'm not following you anymore um, I will still love you and care for you and all that kind of stuff But it's like yep I know that I can't follow that you know um so My inclination is to be out front. My inclination is to be that person, that leader. Um, But to say that I follow um, principles or uh, scripture or, well, you gave a lot of great examples, man, Um, to, to say that I follow those things. um, I think maybe we use the word differently because Hmm. I see them as, um, kind of the way I see values is like guardrails mm-hmm. guidelines within which I operate. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I, I want the freedom to stay. <laughs> Have you ever driven on the Audubon? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when, right before I went into the hospital for bulimia depression, <laughs> we, I met my family in uh, Europe and we went through, cause they were coming home for the last time from Korea. And, um, my dad actually let me drive on the Audubon and oh, what a thrill around here. And I still to this day drive a BMW because I want to just like, um, but um, being able to just have the road and being able to go wherever I need to on the road, that is a general road to get there. Um, I, I still, to me, freedom is not going in circles or going off the road, freedom is being able to um, have safety within really good boundaries. And do those boundaries move sometimes? Yes. Um, Have I been on a journey for, even in my spiritual life where um, I'm discovering that a lot of the things I thought were biblical principles are actually social constructs? Yep. Um, so that means those boundary lines are moving a little bit, which actually gives me a wider place to roam, which mm. um is a lot more freeing. Um and for me, the tenets of intentional optimism are not, um, they're really more of a personal growth plan. Um they then, and so yeah, I think following some kind of a plan is very helpful for me. Mm. Um, but you'll notice it's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yours. <laughs> so in that sense, I'm following a plan that I've pulled together from a lot of different places, um, and feel really confident in it, but it's already changed up a little bit in the last two years. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, I'm still more of a leader. I think I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> mm.
0: No, it's, 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 it's always curious. And I mean, as you say, the devil's in the detail with it, with the language as well. You know, it's, um, I mean,
1: I'm curious, what did
0: you, what did you have to, but I mean, if, if you were to categorize yourself, either religious or spiritual, where, where would you set yourself?
1: Uh, I'm going to say I'm spiritual. Um, no, maybe I'm not. <laughs> this is the pain pleasure question, isn't it? Um,
0: we will think about it.
1: <laughs> oh, um, Well, for many years, and this goes back to a little bit of the ecumenical question that I had as a child, um, looking at denominations that are more liturgical, then if you're not familiar with Southern Baptist, um, Southern Baptists are autonomous churches and um, we're part of a convention, but very much from the Protestant side of um, a little more Holy Spirit led um rather than liturgical like i was taught from the southern baptist perspective liturgical is bad because you're limiting god or you're limiting the holy spirit um and now i look at the liturgical calendar i'm like gosh there's so much comfort in knowing that there's this, this repetitiveness to it or that that god never changes and we can mm. see that in the calendar um so but being religious doing the things being a specific way because of because it's accepted or in order to to earn something that's not who I am um so if that's your definition um I'm I'm not I don't believe that I earn my salvation I believe that that is something that is a free gift um through grace and so for me to say I'm more spiritual than I am religious it's because I don't I work out and prove my my salvation through my works um, But I don't think that my works earn it, which I think is what religion is. So that's my definition.
0: No, it's, I mean, it's a great Be that out as may. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, and it is. It's always, it's, I, t- I think to have that clarity is quite powerful in itself, you know? And, yeah. It, in terms of where you're going and your intentions for the future, I mean, do you, are you intentional about that? You know, do you, do you forward plan three years, five-year plans, 10-year plans, or is it the, the work of God or is it, you know, where, where do you sit on that?
1: Um, yes. And, um, (laughs) yes. yes And and, well, even in Proverbs, it says we decide and God actually puts our steps out there for us. Mm. Um, I think that if I'm going back to scripture, talking about how he ordains things for us, um, we're a participant in that. And, um, for me right in this moment, because I'm in this transition of becoming an entrepreneur and like growing my business, um, I'm still a little bit fuzzy on the three to five year plan. I have Mm -hmm. ideas and dreams. I, I am I'm a good big picture thinker and visionary. Um, I can see books in my future. I can see speaking in my future. I can see um, s- some big things. Um, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Hmm. Um, but no, I am not a free floater. <laughs> I am a planner. And I think that staying for me, staying in the word and constantly Bathing my mind and renewing my mind in that um, gives me the ability to plan better. Gives me the ability to plan based on my strengths and the opportunities that are put before me, and to have the discernment to know what's good and what's bad, um, mm. or what's a good investment or what's not a good investment. And um, so, in general, mm. yes, I'm a planner. <laughs> That's where the intentional part comes from.
2: Mm. And, and do you have a sense of your capabilities? Do you, Do you know what you're capable of?
1: No, no, I don't think any of us really does. Um, I think that we have a glimpse of what we're capable of. Mm. And I think that our circumstances, our environments, our willingness to be true and honest to ourselves, um, I think those help us realize what we can really, what we're really capable of. Um, I, you know, thought I was capable of being a doctor. I thought I was capable of being a nurse. <laughs> I realized I can't even poke my dad with a needle for an allergy shot. You know, I mean, this is like I can't do it. Um, so we think things about ourselves, and we think we're capable of them. But you know, uh, I don't think we are. I don't think any of us truly understand our potential. I don't think any of us truly understand how big we really are and really could be, um, which is extremely terrifying and exciting at the same time. Um, so. You know, thus, the tears yesterday. No, I just want that safe place back where somebody was giving me a paycheck. And my friend is like, "No, you don't." And so it's like okay it's it's actually more exciting to think I set my paycheck. I set my boundaries. I move in this direction or that direction based on what I know about myself. and um i'm just I'm real excited to see what the future holds because, um it's it's not just my dreams. It's people telling me I encourage them. And it's like, oh, and that's another thing. I call myself a professional encourager. <laughs> Even if I make no money, I want, I want people to always leave feeling welcomed and encouraged no matter what.
2: Mm. If you were to, to try and, I don't know, let's say we'll pick seven, you know, put sort of
0: almost like seven, commandments guidelines etc for for an for
2: intentionality what would you say they would be put you on the spot here
1: well you know i have six tenants mm. <laughs> um so i'm going to tell you what those are mm-hmm. because um because they are on purpose for me and i think mm-hmm. that's another word for intentional it's like we do things on purpose um and they're being optimistic and being willing to see things not only as they are, but as they could be, um, being hopeful. Um, the second is being present. And I think if, if you are willing to be present, if you're intentional about being present, then you can be intentional about just about anything. Cause that's one of the harder things to be intentional about. Um, the third one is being, is energetic, um, understanding that we get to generate our energy, that we actually have control over that, that we can harness it. We can, um, generate it we can share it uh it's not a limited commodity uh we can regenerate it um the fourth one is courage which is where leadership comes from Mm. it's um it's where we're willing to step out and do things it's where we're um (laughs) willing to quit your job and (laughs) um but it also is you know kind of not being resilient and not letting things get you down Um, the fifth is um <laughs> oh wisdom um is being wise about things being willing to be wise and hmm. i think that that entails reading and learning from others and being humble, not realizing, not understanding that you don't have all the answers. Um, and that the best way to be wise is, you know, as Abraham Lincoln said, better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Um, or maybe somebody else said it and he quoted him. So I apologize to anybody who may have been the originator of that phrase. Um, but then to truly be intentional, you have to pull all those things together, right? So, if if I'm saying that there are commandments to being intentional, it is to be willing to be optimistic and present and energetic and courageous and wise because those are the things that I truly believe make up a good intentional kind of 360 um way to look at life.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something that they're, they're very powerful. Um Guidelines, you know, tenants, as you say,
0: they're, they're, you know, principles for people to, to live by and work by. Uh, And, and how, how possible is it to, to live to that? I mean, are there always going to be guidelines to, 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 yeah, seek, seek for your life? I mean, or is it something you think you'll you'll actually have a Nirvana almost and say, that's me, I'm done. That's, I've, (laughs) I've, I've, I've ticked all the boxes, job done.
1: Uh, I don't, I don't think that will ever happen. Um, I I, honestly, I am not optimistic that that will ever happen. Um, I just, gosh, Pete, we, I think if we ever get to the place where we think we don't have anything left to learn, um, Mm -hmm. we're either too arrogant or we're dead. I mean, it just, I just, I can't imagine not both wanting to learn or needing to learn, Um, I just can't even imagine that space. And, you know, maybe it's just because I'm highly curious and that's part of it too, is just being really curious. And I love that you just say, I'm curious Um, because that's just, to me, that's a quotient that we either have or don't have. And for the community that I was raised in, it's, there's not a lot of curiosity there. It's like a lot of buttoned up. It's a lot of Everything mm. is tied up with a nice bow. These are the answers, yes or no. Um, and without that, I think we get stagnant. So to think that we could ever reach that nirvana, um, I just, I think is, I think it is, is in itself an arrogant thought. Um, and gosh, I, that's the last thing I ever want to be. Mm. Not that I haven't been accused of it. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I don't ever want to be that. I always want to be humble enough to learn from anybody sitting in front of me or that I'm listening to.
0: Essentially, I mean, it's, and it's all synchronicity, you know. Well, one, the, 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 the word intentionality has just, I would say probably for the last 10 days has been just floating in my head, you know, but hmm. be, being intentional, intentionality. But the, there was a quote someone and, and it's I'm hearing it from somebody else. So I, I, I'm not sure of its origin either or, or the actual accuracy of it. But along the lines of, you know, saying Buddha talked about, you know, weeping at the, the, uh, the death or the loss of his enemy simply hmm. because more or less you lose contrast, you know, and it's like.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's good
0: you know, it's similar. If you ever reach Nirvana, the problem is then <laughs> what's the point, right? You know, but I do. And it's curious, you know, you were saying, and, and, you know, you mentioned age there, you mentioned wisdom. And I suppose my own journey, really was that, that sort of flipping the switch of going to, I have to, to, I want to, or I love to. You know, yeah. and I think when you go from that pain, like mortgage, kids, life, blah, blah blah blah, all that, you know, and he said, she said, and I should do this, should do that, until the point you you hit the well. First of all, you go out of gear and you go, what am I capable of? What is possible? You know, as you were saying in that transition of going, and then you get far enough, you get to that tipping point when saying it's it's unacceptable to go back. Oh, you know, right, and you find yourself then in a position of going, I want to do this. Right. And the energy is completely different. I get to, I, you know, I love to, I have, you know, I don't, there's no have to, or, you know, need to or anything else. It's all out of pure choice. And, and that, joy,
1: right? Duh. It's out of choice and joy. And, um, when I quit my job, I was an operations manager and, um,
0: Every time you say that, there's a massive smile at your face. It's great. When I quit my job, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I, I've been wanting to do that for a long time. And um, my my boss knew that I had started my own business and that I had a podcast, but he's a white man. He's not listening to my podcast. <laughs> my husband listens to my podcast. And quite frankly, one person that comments more and shares more on my podcast is a gentleman I grew up with. And um, so I I love that. So it's not that it's only a podcast for women. It's just geared towards women. So just mm. if, you're, if you want to listen to it, you are welcome. Um, but he really kind of, cause I was middle management. So he middle managers do everything. And, um, so when I, he caught his breath, he's like, wait a minute, I can't breathe. Um, after he caught his breath, he finally looked at me and he said, you're going to do what you love. And I said, yeah, I am. And, um, we knew it was going to be hard for both of us. And, um, uh, and I, I think it is, <laughs> And, and, but that's good, right? It's, it's okay. Um, When, when you hit that place, like, even like I shared from 2017, going into this crucible and kind of emerging with what I call this gem of intentional optimism, um, it's like everything was like stripped away and burned off or seeing what happened in Charlottesville on August 11th and 12th of 2017 and having your eyes open to the racial relationship issues in the united states that those of us who are white just don't see you know half the time and um you you realize i i, I don't want to go back into thinking i have all the answers i don't want to go back because i know, i mean i literally my best friend and i almost 30 years we've been best friends um and we don't have the same religious background and we don't see to eye to eye on most things um and she's watched me through all of this and the biggest compliment i've ever received was for her to say to me, gosh, you just seem so much bigger. And, you know, Pete, I'm five foot one and a half. (laughs) I'm a petite person. Um, So bigger for me means expanded, means I'm growing, I'm listening. I'm instead of being a bush, as she would say, I'm becoming a tree. And um, to not want to go back to playing small to not want to go back to safety, to not want to go back to seeing things only from my perspective. Um, I love a good kaleidoscope. And when you put your eye up to that thing, it is so amazing to just look in for the first time and see the beautiful pattern that might be there. But if you never turn that kaleidoscope, you're missing out on the beauty of the kaleidoscope, right? So um, for me to be able to see things from a different perspective than my own, I'm not going to lie to you. There are some that are still really hard for me. And as soon as I get hit with that perspective, immediately I'm like, no, <laughs> gross, or ah, that's wrong. And then step back. This is just a perspective, right? Right. It's not harming you. It's not, and th- that's another tool, right? That, that's where tools from the tool belt come up. But being willing to do that now means that I have the opportunity to connect with people that I never could have connected with before. And for somebody whose top three values in my life are community, freedom, and authenticity, to know that that gives me the opportunity to develop community, to be in community, to celebrate community, um, I don't ever want to go back, right? It's, I don't, I don't want to be buttoned up again. I don't want to not see, I mean, there, some of this is really painful stuff, right? I, I, I would love to not see the history of race relations in my country and how I bought into it and how I understood certain things to be. And I lament that a lot um, still, um, but I just don't ever want to not, I don't want to be that person again. Um, When we grow, I mean, you would never want your four-year-old child when they're 12, you don't want them to be four again. You want them to be 12. I have a 12-year-old adopted son, which is a whole other story. Um, But watching him develop, he's not my DNA. So I have no idea really what he's truly going to look like when he's grown. I don't really know what his personality is going to be every day is a surprise. Every day is watching him just blossom as a flower and to see him uniquely his own and not me is a beautiful process. I would never want him to go back to being this baby that I understood, right? It's like, I know when his nap times are, I know what he needs. I know when he needs to eat I know all this stuff. I would never want him to be that. Why would I want that for myself? Why would I wanna go from being a grown person and a person who's learning and growing back to a person who doesn't get it, right? Who doesn't, who, who has a schedule and is like fed on a certain schedule and buys into all of these limitations. Um, so yeah, I agree. I, when, you, when you start growing, you don't wanna go back.
0: It's always, yeah. I mean, that's, it kind of reminds me, and, and as you speak there, it's almost like, you know, the Alice in Wonderland. You, yep. once you go through the looking glass, you know, once you, you go into that vortex, you know, it's, there's no going back and you, you know, that expression is you can't, you can never unknow what you know, you know, yeah. you might not remember it, but it can be remembered. It can be reassembled. It's, yeah. you know, to, to, to the point of knowing. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fascinating rabbit hole once, once you go down and, and, you know, uh, show that,
2: you know, but tell me what's, what's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you.
1: Guilty pleasure. I like some Hallmark movies. Um, <laughs> every once in a while, I do need a little bow tied on it. Um, <laughs>
0: The most the most common answer I'll tell you now is chocolate or wine, generally. So
1: oh, like... okay. Well, see, I'm a gastric bypass patient, so alcohol's a no-no. Okay. Um, and, um, and just in case you don't understand, it's because um, when you bypass your stomach, you have no enzymes to break down the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, But I was never much of a drinker. I'm a Southern Baptist, right? So I was never much of a drinker anyway. I did like mm. a good uh, margarita, but after after gastric bypass surgery, you don't you don't partake or you're in trouble quickly. Cause it goes straight to your blood. Wow. Um, and yeah, I like a good dark chocolate, but, um, I don't do a lot of sugar either because of my gastric bypass, but, um, I also, I'm, I must mm, sound weird. I'm a sun worshiper. Uh, so I, I love being in the sun. Um, and there are people who are like, this is my only vice, leave me alone. <laughs> so I guess that's really my, my true guilty pleasure is just mm. getting a suntan, just really enjoying it.
0: Wow. Well. And leisure and pleasure for you, where, where would we find you?
1: I have a pool. I have a pool in my backyard. Um, I used to say Hawaii, um, but I'm just, I think anywhere tropical, Mm. um, I use and part of understanding and remembering and bringing back up and embracing my childhood is we sailed a lot. We had a little sailboat. Um, I've used the sailboat as an analogy for intentional optimism, but being near the water is where I'm most at home most mm. comfortable so of course i live in the mountains right
0: <laughs> why water do you know why is it what draws you there
1: um i'm very rhythm oriented um i i've noticed over the last several years that there's a, a very intense rhythm to um the way i do things I, I take in information i process it i give it back out um but i think part of it's the rhythm of the ocean um, and for me, that's the rhythms are comfort, right? It's like I can see the sun rise and sunset. I can um see all of those rhythms that are natural and that are in place in nature. And so the ocean just kind of represents all of that to me. Um, I grew up on a beach in on the west coast of Korea called uh Daechon. If you've anybody who has been there, um it has now taken um. Let I me mean, not taken over. Um, we the expatriate community leased a strip of land from the Korean governments for seventy five years. So we had cabins, and it was a un, it's a unique coastline. So um, I lived in a cabin in the piney woods, and I walked down to the beach, and I was a lifeguard. And so that's my that's the community that I grew up in. It was a missionary and expatriate community. Every Sunday we had a different denomination preaching in the in the service. Um, and, um, I, you know, was in all of the musicals and I was a lifeguard and we played, everybody played tennis, even if we knew we were going to get knocked out in the first round of the tournament, everybody played cards. Um, it was where we were just accepted where, um, so to me, the beach is just the place to be. And, um, I love having that salty taste in my mouth. I love, uh, watching the sun come up or go down, which you got to be on one coast or the other. But <laughs> um, around here, if I'm on the East coast, I watch the sun rise. So whenever mama needs a vacation, we just head on over to the coast. And I sit out on the balcony and I watch the sun come up and that's, that's it. I love that.
0: Sounds awesome. Sounds really awesome. Well, wow. tell me this, if you were to describe your
2: fire in the belly in one or two words, what would it be?
1: It's going to have to be freedom, freedom of thought, freedom of action, just free to be me. Um, and I thought that was my primary value, but I found that when I really looked down at, at them, I realized that community was, and I think part of that is just free to be in the community I need to be in. So if I have to use one word, the the fire in my belly is, is freedom for me and for others.
2: Mm. Well tell us where can
0: people learn more about you hunt you down stalk you track you any of the above
1: <laughs> no stalking <laughs> um so my website www.theintentionaloptimist.com it does have a v in there and um at the very top i have all my links to my podcast my facebook group uh it's a facebook group of women helping women all over the world um literally it's global and um I have uh, a, if you're a female entrepreneur and you want a place where you can launch your dream or your goals or, uh, and just, and have accountability and encouragement. I have, I'm a Marco Polo channels leader. And so I have a group called launch from the beach. It's asynchronous uh, learning where we still come together once a month. Um, it's a fabulous little small exclusive community right now, and we're going to grow it really big. Um, so that's also, it's called, it's a collaborative community button right there at the top of my website, my podcast, obviously I'm on Instagram, the intentional optimist. And, um, so those are the places you can find me and DM me or, you know, I have a contact me button where you can contact me personally. I do some one on one coaching, but mostly it's group and um, work with uh, work with my my channels. And I do a lot of work locally. So um, uh, those are the places you can find me online.
0: Awesome! What a of con- yeah, fantastic connection. It's great to be able to to reach out. So tell me if you if you want to leave a, a
2: message with our listeners. What what would it be?
1: Please do not let anybody's idea of who you are supposed to be limit you to being from being who you are Um, because it's too easy for all the loud voices out there especially when we talk about social media and influencers it's too easy to let other people's ideas of who we're supposed to be govern who we become and uh just don't let them do it
0: Andrea, it's been absolutely awesome having you on. Thank you so much. I loved hearing your journey and uh, you've I just, you're going to go a long way. And, and I'm oh, delighted. Thank delighted, you. This has been a pleasure. Delighted seeing you and your passion and, and, you know, everything that's going on. So well done. Thank you. And thank you for sharing.
1: Thank you. This has been, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, you've made me think. <laughs> <laughs> now I know I'm pain motivated, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Learn something new every day. Every thank day. You. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And by the way, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly
2: and be the mightiest version of you.